interesting during uh, during worship uh, to uh, my alarm. Stand this morning. Let's stand in the honor of reading the word of our God. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read the Lord's Prayer again uh, as we uh, get ready to continue uh, finishing up through this last. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has closing section uh, of praise. It even mentions uh, glory, uh, which the, the, uh, in, in all the modern translations, not in the ESV, it's not in the NIV. So if you, if you have ESV or NIV, you're probably not going to see it. There's probably going to be a footnote, maybe, I think, in the ESV or NIV. It might be footnoted. Uh, the common question people have, why did I learn this part of the Lord's Prayer, uh, but yet it's not here in my prayer Amen. Should this be included in the, in the prayer? Uh, now, I'm not going to go into detail about that. Uh, textual, anyway, uh, we could do that. We could read early church writings. All of these things that we'd have to do to just start to answer the question, I wonder if that was part of the Lord's Prayer there in Matthew, in Matthew 6 or not. And we just don't have time for that. Let me give you the simple discussion. Let me, let me parse down what has been centuries of talk, almost two millennia of talk about this section of uh, should, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Should that be uh, in there? Uh, simply put, if I, if I were to, to, to make it all as small as possible, here's the discussion. This, the, the doxology is not in any of the Latin manuscripts. So it's not in any of the Latin manuscripts of the Bible, but it is in most of the Greek manuscripts. So it's not in the Latin manuscripts, but it is in the Greek manuscripts, at least most of them. Now, it's not in the earliest Greek manuscripts. It's not in the earliest Greek manuscripts, but it is in most of the Greek manuscripts. Um, It's not in the earliest manuscripts of the Bible, but it is in church writings that in some cases predate those early early copies of the Bible. So, for example, it's in the Didache, which was written in the 100s. So you might have an early version of the Gospel of Matthew from 200, uh, and that's an early manuscript of the Bible. It may not have the Lord's Prayer, but the Didache, uh, which means teaching, uh, does have this attached to the Lord's Prayer uh, in talking about the Lord's Prayer there in the, in the Didache, in the teachings. Uh, Catholics, if, you're, if you grew up Catholic, you do not have this. Catholics do not and have not had this. But early Protestants, when they were first translating the Bible from the Greek, thought it should be there. So if you're reading Wycliffe's uh, translation, you're reading Tyndall's translation, you're going to see this in there. Uh, the Geneva Bible, so these early Protestant English Bibles, the Geneva Bible, the King James Bible, they all had it early uh, Protestant catechisms when they were teaching their children the Lord's Prayer. Many of them uh, had this part of the of the Lord's Prayer. Again, just in Protestant catechisms, not in the Catholic ones. Because again, the Catholic ones follow the Latin manuscripts. Our, what is our usual spo- response to the end of a prayer? What do we normally say when prayer is over? We say amen, right? Uh, that's, how, that's how we close our prayer. Amen. Uh, the usual response at the close of prayer for Jews uh, and, and at the end of the reading of the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. At the end of the reading of the Shema and at the close of their prayers, they would close it. Instead of with Amen, the common Jewish closing of a prayer is, Blessed be the name of the glory of His kingdom forever and ever. Uh, so those are sort of the things that people are, are weighing to say. I wonder if this was really uh, a part of that prayer. Now, I'll tell you this. I don't, the truth is, it, it doesn't really matter if it's in that prayer 
or not, because the things it teaches us are certainly taught all over the place in Scripture, as we're going to see in, in just a moment. Helpful to remember when we pray. So it's not as if without this ending, for example, it's not if you don't have this ending, for that is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's not if you don't have that, the Lord doesn't have the kingdom, the Lord doesn't have power, and the Lord doesn't have glory. Like that's the only parts in the Bible where we found out about those things. God's got a kingdom. God's got power. He's got glory. I didn't know that. Yeah, it's at the end of Jesus' prayer here. Uh, That's the only place you find out about this stuff is all over scripture. Personally, I think it is very helpful. Uh, I would keep it. Uh, we do keep it in the Lord's Prayer at the Foundry. It's part of our, uh, when we recite the Lord's Prayer, it, it's in there. Uh, but if you said the Lord's Prayer without it, I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't, you know, accuse you of taking away from God's Word or, or anything like that. Uh, so let's walk through this in because I do think it is helpful. It was common for, like I said, for Jews to add this. It was at least something that the early church thought was helpful to add to the end of this prayer, whether it was because of common Jewish practice or otherwise. Uh, so let's walk through this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and see what useful things we can gain from adding this in our prayer or having this in our uh, sort of the structure of our prayers. Uh, The first thing I want us to see is what I mentioned just a moment ago, is that God's kingdom, God's power, and God's glory are not novel, nor are they new. Uh, This is something the church has always proclaimed. God's people have always proclaimed the the kingdom, the glory, and the the power, and the glory of of God. Uh, So this is not new. This is not a new thing. And I'm not just talking about each of them individually. I'm not just saying each, like it's not new to talk about kingdom. It's not new to talk about uh, glory. It's not new, or power. It's not new to talk about glory. Uh, I'm not just talking about those things individually. Of course, those are all over uh, the Bible. There's lots of talk in the Bible about God's kingdom. There's lots of talk in the Bible about his power. There's lots of talk in the Bible about his glory. But also, it is not unusual in the Bible to see these things combined. To see God's kingdom, God's power and God's glory united in proclamations to the Lord. Uh, these words are found uh, in very similar places in other doxologies in the Bible. Other times we have words of praise to God, words of glory, praise and glory. It's both going to come from that word doxa. Uh, it, it is part of, we, we find out it is part of right praise of God. So right praise of God, when we get an example of people praising God in an ultimate fashion, you get this this praise given to God, you often see, or you will see, kingdom mentioned, power mentioned, and glory mentioned in those praise. So just in thinking of your own praise that you're giving to God, uh, it is not unusual in doxologies in the Bible to have mentioned kingdom, power, and glory. Look at Revelation chapter 5. In in Revelation chapter 5, what happens in Revelation 5? God brings out this divorce decree uh, in against his people of Israel, which he threatened. He threatened them with in Isaiah. He threatened them with it in Jeremiah. Uh, a, a scroll that he promised would bring great wrath uh, upon his people. Remember, he's gonna. He said, I, "I'll punish you seven times over," and we're about to get these seven seals of this this divorce decree. Uh, but the problem is, you've got this great wrath that's going to come on God's people. But the problem is, what? Who can open it? No one is able to open it. Uh, the, until what? Until the conquering, uh, the conquering lamb who has been given a kingdom, a kingdom not of the Jews, but a kingdom of the nations, he stands up and we get this doxology in Revelation 5, 13 and 14. And I heard every creature 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. So, so we see here in this doxology, what do we see? We see kingdom, he who sits on his throne. So we see the kingdom of God. We see power, uh, we, that might. We see glory. So here you've got the, this ultimate example of praise. We're praising God that he's praising him for about to, to, to bring wrath on the earth, but with that a kingdom that's going to spread to the nations. So, so you've got this praise in Revelation 5. And what we see in that praise, what we see in that doxology is kingdom, power, and glory. Kingdom, power, and glory. Again, though, this is not new, nor is it entirely divine. We also see other examples where, uh, where the Lord is going to use this. The Lord is actually going to say this to physical people, but He's going to do it in a way because He's foreshadowing this coming kingdom and power and glory in the book of Daniel. Daniel says something very similar to King Nebuchadnezzar. In Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 2, verse 37 It says, You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might, and the glory. The kingdom, the power, and the glory. To you, O king, that he's given this. Now, that's important. Why? It's not important just because you, oh, well, it's just saying this about Nebuchadnezzar. But what's going on in Daniel chapter 2? I mean, we're all, I mean, we're all good Baptists. We uh, only read the book of uh, Revelation and Daniel. Uh, that's so so we, we read those things and, and just go, what does that mean? Everyone goes, I don't know, but let's read it again. Uh, but what's going on in Daniel chapter 2? Daniel chapter 2, uh, you've got God is, is in this dream. Uh, Daniel says, he's telling Nebuchadnezzar, what kingdoms are going to come after him? You've got, you, God has given you the kingdom, the power, and the glory, but there are going to come kingdoms after you that he's going to give those things to. And he, 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 currently, has, he currently has the kingdom. He currently has the power. He currently has the might. He currently has the glory. But there's going to be a succession of those who will follow him, and we'll take his kingdom, we'll take his power, and we'll take his glory from him. But what are they going to culminate in? They're going to culminate in this stone that cannot be broken. A kingdom that cannot be toppled. All the other ones are going to be toppled. This, there's going to come a stone that cannot be toppled, and it is the kingdom of Christ. A, a stone not cut by human hand. When's the last time that happened? The Ten Commandments, right? A stone not cut by human hand. Here you've got the fulfillment of the law. You've got the stone who's the epitome of the law, not cut by human hand. So again, this stone not cut by human hand, whose kingdom will progressively break all the other kingdoms Until what? Until it is a mountain that covers the earth. So this stone is going to become this mountain as it progressively uh, destroys all the other kingdoms. That's interesting because now what you have in Matthew chapter 6 is you've got Christ adding this to our prayer as what is he doing? He is is that stone. He is inaugurating this kingdom and doing so with the power and with the glory that, that Daniel 2 told us was going to come. So it, it, I think it's really interesting to think of the one who is going to be the one who's going to have kingdom, power, and glory that will never end, to think that that one, that stone that's going to become a mountain, that one who's gonna, whose kingdom is going to crush all the other kingdoms on the earth uh, until his kingdom covers the entire uh, globe, that, that that stone is telling us, and I want you to say, for thine is the kingdom 
the power, and the glory forever. Uh, Amen. So I just think that's interesting there. So we've seen these in doxologies before. The most interesting one, the most interesting one for us, is in First uh, First Chronicles chapter twenty nine. First Chronicles twenty nine, and because it's important for us, because it's an example of prayer. And you're going to see this doxology in David's prayer. Now, in uh, David's prayer, this doxology is going to come before he asks things of the Lord. So our doxology here is coming at the end. Uh, his doxology comes at the uh, beginning. David is he's blessing the temple, and he adds he adds this doxology uh, bef- before his prayer. He's going to ask he's going to ask for God to direct the hearts of the people toward God, direct the hearts of the people towards you, Lord. Make sure that that happens, and that he would give his son Solomon, uh, who's about to be king, that he would give Solomon a whole heart so that he's, he'd keep God's word. Uh, so that's what he's going to ask the Lord. And, and let Solomon build a palace. He also asked him that. And let him build a palace, uh, which I've kind of set up for him to do. So he's, he's asking good, uh, sort, of, sort of God-oriented things there, but also and let him build a palace. I think it's good not to leave that out because it reminds us it's also okay to, to ask for something like that. Uh, so he says, also let him build a palace. Not the temple, let him build a, a palace. In 1 Chronicles 29.11, though, this is where we see this doxology. 1 Chronicles 29.11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So in this, right before, right before David prays, he says, God, you've got the kingdom, you've got the power, you've got the glory, you know, they're all here and, and, and more uh, in an example of prayer from David. So you've, oh, we've already got a biblical prayer that, that adds this doxology to it. So here we see it. So, so we've got both the words... Uh, of the doxology, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, and the placement of, the dox- of a doxology like this in prayer are both, they're biblically relevant ideas, but it's also particularly relevant in Matthew 6 for what is going on with the kingdom and the power and the glory at that specific moment. Because the kingdom and the power and the glory have finally come to a king who's going to reign forever uh, in the life of Christ. So this, so we see in Scripture, this isn't new, it's not novel. What we're seeing, uh, and this would be the, the, first, the first point, is that prayer and doxology always go well together. Now, you, you know that, uh, I know we, do the, we talk about the old adage, if you want to pray, do the, 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 the praise, uh, I don't remember what pray even stands for, prayer, uh, I don't even remember. It was praise, then I learned it when I was growing up. I don't do it, I don't do it so I don't remember it. But uh, we know that praise is not prayer, right? We've learned that. We know that praise is not prayer. Prayer is not praise. Prayer is asking. But it is good to have praise as a part uh, of either before or after your prayers. So to have a doxology, to have words of glory, either before you pray, either before you ask things of God, or, or after you ask things of God. Those are, we see that biblically, and that's a good thing to do. It is good. It is not novel. We see it in Scripture to have moments either before you ask God for things or after you ask God for things to have words of glory. Now, we're going to talk about how you must think when you do that uh, a little bit later. But we do see, at least in the Bible, that there were times, not every time, but there certainly were times, it's at least not wrong to add moments of praise uh, words of praise before you ask God for something or after you ask God for something. Doxology is always good to be on the lips of God's people 
especially as we think of the life of Christ, who is himself uh, the kingdom, the power, and the glory, and will be those things uh, forever. But let's now, let's now break down this prayer. So we see uh, doxology is a good thing to have to prayer. It's not new that a doxology would be added to prayer. These words, kingdom, power, and glory, they're not new, and it's not new that they're attached together. To add those things together, very common thing to have kingdom, power, and glory added in a praise toward God and toward the Son. But let's look now at this specific thing. Uh, we're going to begin as I always do, with a long section, okay? So we're going to take a whole bunch of words here. Uh, we're going to begin with four, all right? So that's what we're going to get uh, today. We're at least going to get to the word four, all right? Because that's how it begins. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. But that four is important. It's important that it says, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, instead of just saying, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It says, for thine is the kingdom and the power. That means that this final doxology is not separate from the prayer, but is instead united to it. And it's united to this prayer by that word, for. Now, for or because, however you want to translate it, means that, that, that what we just prayed, we are praying because of what follows. So, do all this, Father, do all this, our Father in heaven, do these things, we're asking you these things, for or because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So I think that for is going to give us two chief aspects to think about when we pray. Two chief aspects that I think are at least helpful when we pray. One is we pray and we ask these things uh, because or since these things are true, we know that God is willing and able to answer them. So in other words, we can pray these things and we can have hope that they will be be answered because we know that God has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So we have confidence in these prayers. We can say, Father, holify your name because He has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. We can say, Father, give us our daily bread. Why? Because He has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. He is both willing and able to do these things because of who He is. We can say, deliver us from evil. Because what? Because His is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Which, after just talking about the evil one, and after knowing what the evil one is going to bring on these Christians that He's just told to pray this prayer, all of whom will die by the works of the evil one, it is going to be very important for them to know that the Father has the kingdom, the power, and the glory. So that's the first one of the, when we see four, that's one of the first aspects we can see. We're praying these things because these things are true of God. God has the kingdom. God has the power. God has the glory. And because of that, uh, we can ask all these things of Him. But the other thing I think it teaches us with this word for is that when we pray, we seek not our own good chiefly, but we are ultimately seeking these things for the sake of His glory. We're asking these things for His glory. In other words, our thoughts are still on Him. So, so God answering our requests, our prayers, all these things is ultimately about Him, not about us. We only ask them because we know He can answer them. And we ask them because He is our chief concern, not ourselves. Now, there is in this final request, or this, this final call, 
really a reminder of where the prayer began. Because what did the prayer begin with? The prayer began, the first things we prayed for, the first focus we saw that we're supposed to have in prayer is not on us, right? But on Him. Holify your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Those are the first things we asked of the Lord. Our first was we asked for His name to be holified, not ours. We asked for Him to build His kingdom, not our kingdom. We asked Him to ensure that His will is done, not our will is done. This is the first thing Jesus taught us to pray, were things directed toward God. And now, so to hear, Christ wraps up our requests that have just turned personal, and personal in a corporate sense, a lot of us, remember, not, not, some, not a bunch of me's when we pray, not a bunch of eyes, not feed me, not deliver me, but us. He reminds us here at the end, he brings us back to where he began by giving us a fatherly focus again. Our Father who art in heaven, do these things. And then in the end, he brings us back and puts sort of this Godward bow on it all. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. We ask these things ultimately, the Lord's Prayer, we ask them ultimately and chiefly it should be, not for us, but for Him. And this doxology reminds us of that. Lest by the time we're done praying, our minds become fixed again, once, once again on us. So we start out asking, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then we start talking a lot about our daily bread. And we start thinking about that. And then we start thinking about our forgiveness. And then we start thinking about not being led into temptation. And then we start thinking about being delivered from evil. And by the end, you know, we, we, there's a, there can be a temptation to have the prayers for, uh, uh, for His name and His kingdom and His will. Those can come out very rote. Holify your name. Bring your kingdom. Right? Do your will. Throw those things out real quickly. And we don't really stop and think about those things. But when we talk about daily bread, all of a sudden we're thinking about all the daily bread that we need. We start talking about forgiveness. We start thinking about all the forgiveness we need. And when we start talking about as we've forgiven others, we start thinking about all the people that have wronged us. And we start thinking about, and I, man, I probably do need to forgive them. And I've really been wronged a lot. Uh, and we start talking about, you know, not being led into temptation. We think about all the time, all the ways we're being stretched. And we talk about, we think about being delivered from evil. And we think about all the spiritual warfare we're going through. It can be very easy after throwing out those first three things about God and His kingdom to then by the end of our prayer just be thinking about us. Even though we began thinking about Him, did not end. So, so here I like this because it reminds us all of this is ultimately not about us, but about Him and His name. His glory. So by the end, uh, when we get here, this ending of the Lord's Prayer puts to death any idea that prayer is a name it and proclaim it sort of proposition. Prayer in the beginning and in the end isn't the, the, even the Lord's Prayer. This Lord's Prayer is not, is not about us, it's about Him. And we've seen this, Psalm 37, 4. Uh, what does it say? Delight yourself in the Lord, and He'll give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in Him, and He will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. When, when your eyes, when your delight is on God, then God will give you what you ask. Now, why? Because you won't be asking things for yourself, because your eyes aren't on yourself. Your delight isn't in you. Your delight is in the Lord. Your chief concern isn't you. Your chief concern is him. So what are you asking for? You ask for his things. He's going to have to make you ask for daily bread. He's going to have to make you ask for forgiveness. He's going to have to make you ask for, uh, talk about temptation. He's going to make you ask about being delivered from evil because you're spending so much time talking about his name, his kingdom, and his will. Those are what you're concerned about. When your way is committed to him, 
and committed to His will and, and not you and your will, then you can know, like it says here in Psalm 37, you can know that God will act, that He will do, that He will answer. Why? Because His name is your primary objective. And His name is His primary objective too. You are not His primary objective in life. His name is His primary objective. So the things He does in you, what He does, and this has been true for His people all along. We're going to see this in, uh, next week or so. Uh, he has always sought the glory of His name. And when we remember that, and when that is our pursuit as well, then we can know that our request will be granted because we will be seeking what we know He is seeking, which is the glory of His name above all things. And that's the concern in this conclusion. You know, do these things answer these things because these are true? The kingdom, the power, the glory forever. And your answering our request will show, will manifest these things. And that's our chief concern in our prayer. That's our main concern in our prayer. We want the world to see. If we want, if we want, if we want your name to be hallowed, what's going to hallow your name? It's going to be when you feed your people. It's going to be the forgiveness that you bring to your people. It's going to be how you don't stretch your people to breaking. It's going to be how you save your people from the evil one. That is how those first three things are going to be manifested for the world to see. So our chief prayer of the Lord's Prayer is ultimately for God's kingdom, for God's power, and God's glory to be clearly seen. And they're seen in those ways that He cares for His people, both physically and spiritually. And when we recognize that, when our, when our prayer is Godward from beginning and end, when we've, got, when we've got our requests sandwiched between God and His kingdom and His glory, then it kills any idea that prayer is, is just about us or that we just throw out His name and His kingdom and His glory uh, or His name and his, his kingdom and His will so we can then talk about us a lot. It makes our prayers very Godward. And Godward prayers are answered prayers. Godward prayers are answered prayers. And that's the concern of this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For, do these things. For, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We won't, we won't get into for thine is the kingdom. Because we don't have time. Yeah, we do. We, we got time. We got, we got all sorts of time in the world. Uh, mostly because I don't know when the snow is going to get here. All right. Okay, we'll do we'll do that next week. All right. So uh, let's. It's, it's, I was like, you can't get everyone here early and then stay later. Uh, that's the whole point of missing out. So we're going to get into. We're going to look at those three things in the next week or or, or two weeks. We're going to look at what does it mean that His is the kingdom. What does it mean that His is the power. What does it mean that His is the glory. And what does Amen mean? And why do we put it at the end of all our prayers? Uh, so we're going to talk about uh, all those things. Until then, don't use the word amen. Just kidding. Use it. You're fine. Uh, so we're going to talk about all those things uh, in the next week. Let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about some uses. And, uh, you know, uh, people have sometime, sometimes asked, you know, like uh, you know, a, a lot of Baptist churches have like, uh, the, they call it like invitations at the end where you, you invite people to come to the front and they'll call this the altar and and. and you, we, we know why I think that is just a horrible thing to say. But uh, we, we, they do this, and, I, and people have asked, well, why don't we have an invitation? I go, we do, we have an extended invitation. And I want you to know, when we talk about the uses, that's what this is. 
the uses are, this is a very Puritan model, the uses are the time where the pastor is inviting you to obey the word that you have just heard. And this is his pastoral call to do that. So it's very common in, so we've preached the word, we've told you the word, we've, we've said we will be obedient to what we have read, and now this is the call from your pastor to the church saying, this, I'm inviting you to obey. But I'm not really inviting you. I'm saying you promised you would, you don't want to be a liar at the end of worship, right? Not a good way to end worship is to go, nah, I'm not going to do that. So uh, when we go to these calls, I want you to know, this is the pastoral uh, uh, invitation to obey God's word. These are ways that I've seen practically that you individually and that our church specifically can start responding to God's word. We don't like to leave your obedience in the ephemeral for you to just sit and think about, well, what does that mean to you? No, we want to make it, these are ways, practical ways you can start obeying. Because one of the hardest things to do is to read scripture and go, okay, well, how do I start doing that? And to talk about it in a, in a, in a very meaningful and practical way. So here comes your invitation. Uh, this is our this is our invitation. Uh, so, what are the uses? What are the ways that you can start being obedient to this, and that we must be obedient to this? The first thing. Let me invite you. Let me call you. Let me tell you, it is good, and can be a good thing to both begin or end our times of request, our times of prayer, with with a time of affirmation or or praise. Uh, a time of praise, a time of giving God glory. Uh, praise or doxologies at the beginning or end of your prayers can be a good reminder of why we are coming to God with our requests. So let me tell you, when you're praying, it can be a good thing to be, before you start praying to have a time of praise of God. And it can be a good thing before you, after you've just finished praying to end with a time or words of praise to God. And they're simple, right? They're simple words uh, of, of truth because the reality is uh, the, when, you, when you give a doxology, the, the simple truth of a doxology is uh, who else would you go to with these requests? Who else could you go to? So, I mean, that's why a, a doxology is a good reminder. Who else could you ask to do any of these things? He is both the greatest option of what you could turn to and in reality, he's the sole option. Not only does God have a kingdom and a power and a glory that are very great, so if I'm going to turn to anybody and say, help me, who would I turn to? If I'm going to turn to anybody and say, please do these things, who could I ask to do these things? I mean, God is certainly a great option, but in the end, he's, he's also the sole option. Not only does he have a kingdom, a power, a glory, he has the kingdom. He has the power. He has the glory. So it is good to have in your, in your, either before or after your time of prayer, it can be a good thing, not a required thing, but can be a good thing to have a time, uh, a brief, and, and notice in these doxologies, both in David's uh, and in Christ's here, we're talking a sentence. I mean, he's got a sentence here. Uh, David, David has two sentences. And I say that because we must not forget or think that by adding praise, either at the beginning or at the end of our prayers, that that makes God more likely to answer them. This is a temptation you must be aware of. Because this is a temptation that Christ warns us about. If you want to add times of praise to God, good. If you think adding times of praise to God will make Him more likely to answer, bad. 
Remember, Christ warns us when talking, right around the Lord's Prayer, Christ warns us that this is how the pagans think about their gods. They think that by their many words, they're going to be heard. They think they can convince God to, their gods to act, that they can goad them into answering by using a lot of uh, words. Remember, one of the things that the Lord's Prayer is teaching us is to pray short prayers. That there is, in the, in the Bible, more danger with long prayers than with short prayers. There are far more warnings for long prayers than short prayers, and by that I mean zero warnings about short prayers, and many warnings about long prayers. So even though it is a good and right thing to add a section of praise, to add a doxology to either the beginning of your prayers or the end of your prayers, if you do, be careful. There is a common temptation to be pagan in your prayer life. And you do not want to add a pagan section to your prayers. That would be bad. Adding a doxology would be good. Adding a pagan doxology would be bad. And what makes it pagan isn't saying, and yes, Mother Earth, Father Sky, please answer these things. What makes it pagan, Jesus says, is thinking that by giving God a lot of words, that's what's going to make him act. So let me butter you up and then give you the request. Or let me give you the request and then give you a lot of praise to really nudge you to answer it. If those are your thoughts, then your doxologies are not all that glorious. So even though, again, it's a good and right thing to have praise, we must not think that God will be more likely to act because of it. In the end, such thoughts, such prayers, and and such ideas about God would actually be very unpraiseworthy. So the the praise you're giving to God would be stolen by why you think you have to give him the praise. Let me do this so that you will will answer. So let me encourage you. It would be a good thing, Christians. How can you start taking these texts and applying it? It would be a good thing to add moments of praise either before or after you pray. Short, brief snippets of God's glory. Just, you know, uh, telling God how glorious he is because you really believe it and you want to keep your your heart and your prayers Godward. There's also a temptation you need to be aware of which is, I think he's more likely to answer this prayer if I give the praise. If you do uh, think that, just repent of it. Uh, just say, God, I'm sorry I'm, I thought that as I was praising you. Forgive me. You are these things, whether or not you answer. Uh, and I'm just telling you how great you are, not in order to goad you into answering because you're not like the gods of the pagans. Uh, the other thing that we're going to see uh, in these is... Uh, when we look at, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, uh, our, our prayer life is driven by our theology. Our prayer life is driven by our theology. So, when you're looking at your prayer life, if you want to have a good prayer life, Christian, you want to, you want to pray this Lord's Prayer more often, you want to be just want to pray more often anyway, if you have a high view of God, a high view of God will result in a more rich and robust prayer life. We ask these things for or because you are this. Because these because yours is the kingdom, because yours is the power, because yours is the glory, and all those things forever, this is why we ask these. So this is why it's important for us as Christians for you to be able to answer this question. If you want to be obedient to these texts, if you want to have a prayer life like you should, you should, it, you should be able to answer, answer the question, who is God? 
If someone were to ask you, who is God? And for you to be able to answer that question biblically, not, again, not what is your idea of God, but who is God as He has revealed Himself? Because the more you know about God rightly, the higher and more accurate your view of God, the more you will pray, the more you will pray for the right things, and the more you will have confidence that those prayers will be answered. Because you will say, I'm asking you, God, to do this because this is who you are. I'm asking you to grow me. I'm asking you to search me. I'm asking you to fix me. I'm asking you to fix us. I'm asking you to fix our church. I'm asking you to grow our church. I'm asking you to do whatever. I'm asking you to grow my children. I'm asking all these things. Why? Because I know who you are. And because I know who you are, I'm asking you and asking you confidently. And since I'm confident of that, I know I don't have to butter you up. I don't have to tell you who you are in order for you to get to be who I want you to be. I know this is who you are, and so I pray confidently. You have a high and right view of God, then you will most likely have a rich and robust prayer life. Uh, The next thing I want us to see and what we must remember. Christian, remember our prayer and our assurances are founded on God's merit, not ours. In other words, God is going to answer your prayers because of who He is, not who you are. And that's important. Because I don't want you to think, if you're doing really well right now, and you're, you're just growing like a weed but you're not a weed. You're just growing like a weed. You know, you're not a tear. You're just a wheat that's really growing like a tear, right? You're doing the hundredfold right now. You are hitting, you're hitting the glory zone in terms of growth. I don't want you to think that God is more likely to answer your prayer because you're doing really good. That it is your merit that's going to get God to answer. And some of you, some, what can happen is as we grow, we can think that the more I grow, the more God's going to answer my prayer because I'm going to be better. We know that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but what does Scripture also teach us? All of God's children, all of His Christians, are righteous men and women. Because our righteousness is not found in us, it's found in Him. And we know that as He grows, He grows us to be righteous. It is a righteous, it it is an imputed, but a very real righteousness that is seen in our lives. But what we must not, what we must not think is that God's going to answer because I'm doing really good. And the other thing, we, the re- reason we've got to recognize this is you, I don't want you to sit there and think God's never going to answer this because I'm really bad. I'm really doing poorly right now. And so I can say, God, make me a better man. I can say, God, make me a better husband. But he's not going to answer it because I'm horrible. Because look at what I've done. Right? You, you, just, you just yelled at your wife. You just got upset with her and you know it's not good. You know you shouldn't have done that and you're thinking about it, and you want to pray, and you want to ask, but you think, well, God's not even going to answer it. Why? Because you stink. And you just show that. That's why you're having to pray this. Look, the, 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 the reason the Lord is going to answer you, all of your prayer and your hope in your prayer, your confidence in your prayer life, rests not an ounce on your merit, but on His. So when you're asking Him, God, help me to not be a grumbler. Help me to not be a complainer. God, help me to honor my parents. 
And children, you want to be better children? You want to grow up to be a, a good father and a shepherd? You know, you want to be a good husband, a good father, and if really good ninja skills, you know? Uh, you know, if you're wanting these things and you're asking the Lord to make me a good man, you pray those things and your confidence isn't because I deserve it and your, 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 your hopelessness isn't because I don't deserve it. All of those things, you can ask all of these things of the Father. His name, His kingdom, His will. Your bread, your forgiveness, your temptations, your deliverance. You can ask all of those things and confidently know that He will answer them. Why? Because none of them rest on who you are and they all rest on who He is. You can't say, because the end of it isn't, do all these things, Father, for I have been really good. Do all these things, Father, for I am wonderful. And do all these things for yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. And that's why we can say at the end of our prayers, amen. Let it be. Because it's not about us. Not an ounce of it is about you. So don't be hopeless in your prayer life but also be humble in your prayer life. God's going to answer it never because of who you are, but always because of who he is. Remember that when you pray. And the other thing I want us to do uh, in our prayer lives, what this teaches us and what we must do is our prayers uh, should begin and end with our focus on God. When you're praying, always make sure that you go into prayer with God and, and, and him as your chief concern and make sure when you get out of the prayer, that God is still your chief concern. So I don't want us going into prayer, just focus on us. And the only reason I'm praying, uh, the only, you know, if the only time you're motivated to pray is because of you, something's going on with your name, something's going on with your kingdom, right? And you've got struggles in your kingdom, you've got struggles in your situation, uh, and that's really the only time you're motivated to pray, is you're very you-word focused, and when things are messed up there, all of a sudden you're worried about your name and your will and all this stuff, and that's when you start praying. If that's the only time you're motivated to pray is, when you, is because of you, then you're going to have a very weak prayer life. And I mean, you're not going to pray very often, you're probably going to pray more and more often because your kingdom's going to keep going down the toilet. Uh, but you're not going to pray. You're not going to pray very often. And when you pray, it'll be a very weak prayer because it'll all be about you. And what's going to happen is you're not going to be praying when you should pray. You're not going to be praying what you should be praying for. And you're not going to be praying how you should pray. Because then you won't, you won't be confident that God's going to answer it anyway or even that He can because all of your thoughts have been about you. You're here You're approaching the throne. And you're approaching the throne. Why? It's it's like you're a petulant child. You're going to the throne and just saying, hey, fix this. But it's all just about you. God's got to be the focus of our prayers before. And this is why a doxology can be good and can be corrective. Can get our eyes where they need to be. I'm remembering God in his glory and now I'm praying. I'm declaring these things, and that's getting my heart Godward, and now I'm asking these things of the Lord. And when I'm done asking them, I'm making sure my heart is Godward still. I'm not focused on me, but focused on Him, and His kingdom, and His glory, His name, His will, or His kingdom, His will, all of those things. That's where my focus begins, and that's where my focus ends. So make sure you are ever Godward in your prayers. Don't go into your prayers with your thoughts chiefly on yourself. 
If you can't think, like if you're wanting to pray about something, let's say you're wanting to pray about your marriage, or you're wanting to pray uh, about a situation with a friend, or you're wanting to pray uh, for yourself as a husband, and you're trying to take a moment and think how these affect the kingdom. Get your heart Godward if you need to, but make sure you don't go into prayer thinking about yourself, or the very real reality is you might go out of prayer thinking about yourself. When our confidence in prayer is always Him, who He is, His kingdom, His power, His glory. So in your prayer, as, as we start, as we go to prayer, I want us to, to think about those things. As you start to, to pray right line, we want to start implementing the Lord's Prayer more often. We don't just with this model prayer that we just know. We want to start implementing this Lord's Prayer uh, in our lives. Those are the things uh, that we uh, must do. It's good to begin with a time of praise. It is not good to begin with a time of praise or end with a time of praise if you think that's going to cause God uh, to act. Your prayer life is driven by your theology. Have a good, high, right view of God, and you will have a rich and robust prayer life. Low view of God, high view of yourself, you're probably going to have a low uh, view of prayer. And God answers your prayer not based on you, but on Him. So be humble, uh, but also take heart. Uh, be humble, but don't be hopeless. Because God answers based on who He is, not who you are. And make sure you begin and end your prayers focused on Him and not yourself. Let's pray. Those are the wisdoms I would give you now. Those are the ways I think we can start responding to God's Word. And I uh, invite, of course, all of us to respond to God's Word now. The truth is, we all respond to God's Word one way or the other. I'm just asking you to respond to God's Word rightly. There's not anyone in this church that is not going to not respond to God's Word. You just either respond with disobedience, just saying, I'm not going to do that. You respond with ambivalence, I don't care about that. Or you respond with obedience, I will do that. Show me how, Lord. And that's the hope of what I just gave you, some ways to start obeying. Because the temptation is to hear a lot of Scripture and then just not know how to do anything about it. Or never get to the point of, well, how do I do that? Well, here's some ways to do it. So let's take a moment before we ask God to do these things. Let's take a moment right now. I want all of us to just give a doxology to the Lord. Right now where you are, a brief praise of who God is. And he gives us guidance of that. Even just telling him, God, yours be more rich. You know, I'm just there and think, oh, I can't just say that. That's what Jesus told you to just say. This is an example that we see throughout Scripture. Just saying, God, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory. And those were good enough doxologies that God said, I'm going to put that in my word for people to see forever. He didn't say, oh, David, that's pretty short. Let me wait and maybe one of these other priests or whoever is going to have a really long one. I'll throw that in there. No, he, he puts in here an example of what is a good, what is a good word of praise to give to your father? What are good words of glory? So right now, just take a moment and praise God. You can praise Him for His kingdom, His power, His glory. You can praise Him for whatever you want to. Just take a moment to praise God. And as we do, let our hearts be turning Godward. We may have had our thoughts on us all day today. On us, on what's wrong, what's right. I don't know. Maybe we had a hard time getting to church. Maybe we had a great time getting to church. But our, our thoughts weren't on the Lord. And so then our prayers won't be on Him. Ask God, as we go now to a time of request, a time of prayer, ask God to get your focus on Him. 
ask that His words, that those words of praise would be praise that rings in your heart. Ask Him that, you, that He would give you a right view of Himself. Because you know that a high view of Him will result in a high prayer life. A right view of Him will result in a right prayer life. So ask him, if you want Him to fix your prayers, ask Him to fix your theology. Make sure I understand you, God. Because God, if I understand you, then I will ask for the right things and I will be confident that you'll answer them. So ask God, God, don't just give me a vision of you. Make sure if I've got any vision of you that I think is right and isn't, Father, correct it. Show me what I need to see. Correct what I need to unsee. Make sure I see you rightly because that will help me pray better. And thank God. Thank God that He answers your prayer not based on who you are, but based on who He is. And confess that there's been times you've probably been too prideful and you need to be humble a little. You thought, God's really going to answer this prayer because I'm doing really good. Or maybe confess there are times that you were hopeless and you thought He wasn't going to answer your prayer because you were really bad. You hadn't been doing well, so He probably doesn't care. I mean, are, are both of those things... Are both of those things wrong views of yourself? Yes, but they're also wrong views of Him. And that's, that's the greater danger. Father, we want to come to today and God, we want to begin with our focus on You and we want to end with our focus on You. We want to make sure, Father, that we are motivated to pray because of who you are, not because of who we are, what's going on with us. So, Father, help our eyes to be fixed on your name, to be fixed on your kingdom, to be fixed on your will. To rejoice that yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Help our thoughts to be fixed on you so that everything that fills our prayer life will be filtered through that lens of you. We'll have to come through the the, the screen of your name and your glory and the things that are about that are the things that make it through and flow off of our lips and we ask you for those. We know there's so many other things that want to get our attention. So many other ways we want to be distracted. So Father, help our thoughts as we go into prayer and as we come out of it to be on you. And if we have to do that with a doxology, if we have to teach ourselves that by a doxology, Father, may we do that. May we praise you before and may we praise you at the end so that we make sure we go in and we come out with our thoughts on you. But may they never be token, Father. May they never be words we just spit because we think we've got to spit them out. And may they never be pagan. May we never think God's really going to answer because I praised him before and I praised him at the end. That's how the pagan gods answer. That's how evil men and women answer requests. It's not how you answer them. It's not why you answer them. We pray these things not to get you to do these things. We pray these things because you are these things. It's who you are. Give us a right view of you so we might have a right view of prayer and might come to you confidently assured of your answer, not because of who we are, but because of who Christ has been for us. Every failure that should have kept us from being able to approach the throne, we're able to approach the throne because Christ was those things for us. The perfection that we were not, He was and is. 
And as He grows righteousness in us, Father, may we know that all of this is ultimately from You and by You and for Your glory, not ours. And may it give us confidence as we pray. Please, Father, teach us these things. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.